Ezekiel and the strange beings. Who were they exactly? The prophet Ezekiel was a Jewish priest who lived in Chaldea. He claimed he was contacted four times during a 20-year period, beginning about 593 B.C., by man-like beings who came to Earth in a fiery chariot. NASA rocket engineer Joseph Blumrich believes Ezekiel was probably the world's first UFOologist, describing in detail the strange beings that confronted him and their craft. Ezekiel's writings, of course, can be found in the Old Testament. In this book, The Space Beings of Ezekiel, Bontem, New York, 1974, which was published, Blumrich reinterprets Ezekiel's observations to produce an engineering analysis of the fiery chariot described in the Bible. Like I mentioned earlier, seeing a UFO at that time in the history of mankind, one would compare it to a wheel, a wheel in the sky. Uh, no one would at that time know what a saucer was or a disc or even a uh, cigar-shaped vehicle in the sky. They would equate it to a wheel. Incredibly, that analysis found that the object Ezekiel encountered could be built today. NASA, the author points out, holds patents on atmospheric reentry vehicles closely designed after the object Ezekiel reported. In the Bible, Ezekiel writes, he watched a stormy wind descend from the north, fire flashing forth continually, and within it he saw the likeness of four living creatures, each with four wings and a pair of human hands. Now, sounds a lot like uh, winged creatures, humanoids that could be close to what we think of as the Mothman or perhaps gargoyles or uh, any other type of winged cryptid. Bloomrick interprets this to mean four landing legs, possibly, each with four-bladed helicopter and mechanical arm attachments supporting a, a uh, spacecraft body. Ezekiel was able to positively identify only one feature of the object, the wheels, one at the bottom of each leg, which were capable of moving in any direction. Author Bloomrick believes Ezekiel's observation, a wheel within a wheel, describes a technique for locomotion. The U.S. space program incorporated into vehicles designed to operate on the surface of other planets. Ezekiel describes the wheels he saw as light greenish-blue and the body of the object as resembling rock, crystal, or terrible ice, as suggesting uh, to Bloomrick that the prophet was seeing a shiny surface, the same shiny surface described in thousands of present-day UFO sightings. From the object, the Bible tells us, emerged the appearance of a man who had been seated upon the likeness of a throne. Ezekiel refers to the being as the glory of the Lord, rather than the Lord himself, Bloomrick points out. The author believes the likeness of a man described by Ezekiel was a spacecraft commander who wore a gold or brass-colored suit and demonstrated for the prophet his ability to fly from his craft to the ground. Then taken for a ride on the craft, Ezekiel described the experience with the words, The Spirit lifted me up, according to Bloomrick's interpretation, and when they landed, seven men received the commander. One of them said, I have done as thou didst command me. 
three more times over the following 20 years, Ezekiel described the same craft, and after each encounter, the prophet described the experience with the words, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and the Spirit took hold of me, or the Spirit lifted me up. Bloomrick speculates the prophet may have been describing a hyphonic influence and teleportation, possibly. He also theorizes that the UFO began its descent after separating from a larger UFO at 220 miles in altitude. A brief firing of its rockets enabled the craft's helicopter-like blades to descend the rest of the way and maneuver for a landing. The author believes Ezekiel witnessed this phase of the flight and the prophet mistook the rockets blasting for lightning and the helicopter blades for rushing wind. The author believes Ezekiel was chosen for an encounter because he was a priest and occupied a leadership role among his people. Based on Ezekiel's observations, Bloomrick believes that speculated the ETs were studying humans and ex, um, exerated the intellectual influence of the development of human civilization through the priest Ezekiel. And now a word from our sponsor. As now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction. Are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Flying Saucers and the Bible Connection Bible scholar Barry Downing firmly believes that biblical teachings were inspired by extraterrestrials who came to Earth in flying saucers. Downing was so convinced he wrote a book about the theory called The Bible and Flying Saucers, Lip Kant, New York, 1968. In the book, he says the Bible clearly points out how UFOs played a strong role in the evolution of the Hebrew Christian faith. Downing believes the scriptures suggest that Jesus' resurrection occurred when he was beamed up from earth by a flying saucer. Downing also believes that the bright cloud that led the people of Israel through the Red Sea, parting the waters, and then engulfing the Egyptians was a UFO. The author even claims it was space beings who spoke to Moses from the middle of the glowing thicket and later spoke to Elijah outside of the cave forcing the prophet to shield his eyes because of the brightness. A UFO took Jesus away at the ascension and hovered over Paul and his followers on the Damascus road, Downing contends. He also claims the three wise men probably followed a UFO to Bethlehem. Since stars do not move or abruptly stop in the manner the, UFO des the uh, Bible describes, Downing claims that evidence proving UFOs could be hazardous to human health can also be found in the Bible. He points to the references to the Egyptians drowning in the Red Sea, warnings given to Moses not to approach too near the burning bush, and warnings given to his followers not to approach Mount Sinai as proof. The author points out other mystifying events in the Bible that he believes can only be interpreted 
to mean the participants had contact with UFOs. For example, he points out that when Moses descended from Mount Sinai with two tablets in his hands, Exodus records that the skin of his face shone from talking to God, and he says the New Testament describes how Jesus began to glow when in contact with a bright object on a mountain. When the tabernacle was built, Downing contends the priests serving it were told by ETs what clothing to wear to protect themselves against radiation. Because the UFO hovered like a cloud over the tent enclosing the tabernacle, Downing believes this precaution could have brought about the Jewish custom of wearing skull caps into houses of worship, yarmulkes. The author even suggests mutations in the growth of biological life caused by radiation could have resulted in the plagues described in Exodus. Downing further theorizes that Einstein's curvature of space theory provides a clue to where heaven is located. The author contends Jesus may have meant that the kingdom of heaven literally rests in the midst of us, meaning that heaven is on an entirely different plane or wavelength, invisible to us, but existing parallel to our own, connected by bends or warps in the space-time continuum. I've been to some amazing places throughout my career as a as an author and researcher. Uh, one of which would be Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. One of the bloodiest and most memorable battles of the Civil War took place there. And it was to be um, a war that would forever divide and hopefully unite this nation. But there's still a lot of deep wounds from this war that have not been fully healed. And it's been over 150 years. So that brings us to today. I was in Gettysburg in 2012. And 2014, I've taken part in ghost walks, paranormal walkthroughs, investigations, tours, and there was one location I went to that I found most interesting. The first casualty of Gettysburg was not a soldier, but a young girl who was working on biscuits from scratch. She was making biscuits in her kitchen, mind you, and some of the confederates were tunneling through gettysburg just scouting around and scurrying from one end to another just peeking in windows looking around and one of them peeked through a window and they thought they saw someone who was armed standing there and shot through the window it was not a soldier and no one was armed it was a young girl working in the kitchen working on making biscuits for the soldiers to eat while out on the battlefield. And it wasn't just for the Union. These biscuits were also for the Confederates. And that's what was interesting about this war. It was brother versus brother, father versus son, and they would break bread after war was over. People would have picnic lunches on the hillside and watch the battles ensue. And during Christian holidays, Christmas, Easter, whatnot, the war and fighting would stop and they would meet in the middle and exchange pictures of their family members and stories and uh, uh, family time events and so forth with who they were just shooting at and trying to kill. 
Uh, really psychologically interesting war, needless to say. But this poor girl who was baking biscuits in the kitchen was shot dead by a Confederate soldier who was scouting through Gettysburg. And what happens? The mother runs in and mourns, quickly mourns, over the death of her daughter who was just shot and killed in the kitchen. So what does she do? Sort of pushes the body aside and continues work on the biscuits. That is disturbing. Uh, Something like that if my child was shot in a kitchen by an insurgent, um, I would be out in the yard looking for this insurgent and making them wish that they had never been born or that they didn't have extended family because I would track every last member of their bloodline down and eviscerate them. But this is not what happened. Mom just scooted the dead body over and continued with the making of the biscuits. Freaking weird. Another part of Gettysburg we went through, some awesome tours in the battlefield. And you go up to the the cliffs, the rock, uh, the hillside and the rocks and look over what's known as the snake's den. And you can still hear the clinging and the clanging of the canteens from the soldiers that went through there doing battle so long ago. You could smell the phantom odor of cigar and pipe smoke and cigarettes and whatever it was they were smoking or burning at that point in time, whether it be the smell of a mass grave and bodies burning or uh, a campfire. You could smell it as fresh as it was the day that it was started during the battle. And I've always had a theory that if you were to build a residential neighborhood over the battlefield of Gettysburg, every single house would be haunted, not because of what took place in that house, any kind of cataclysmic event or period of turmoil, but the land itself is what would be cursed, therefore making the house haunted. Something like what happened in Gettysburg released so much energy from the human body, from the people involved in this horrific event, from the fear, the anguish, the hate, the disdain, the the murder, the violence, the blood spilled, bloodshed, uh, from limbs getting shot off, heads being blown off, people bleeding to death on the field, people gasping for their last breath and their enemy hovering over their body, looking them in the eyes as they cross over into the next world and their spiritual energy still resides there and it's evident you can walk through that area where they do the tours and through the town itself and you can just taste what happened there you can feel it you can smell it you can sense it it's an electrically charged level of kinetic energy that just flows through there constantly like a pulse I recommend checking out Gettysburg, Pennsylvania someday, if you've not. Um, I try to go every few years. There's always something new to discover. And plus, they always feature me uh, when I'm in town at their ghost walks and their uh, haunted events. Uh, It's kind of a fun way for them to uh, say thank you, I guess, for continuing to tell their story. And now a word from our sponsor. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. 
TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Here's the $10 million question. Did U.S. Special Forces kill a giant in Kandahar? Several conspiracy theory-oriented websites are claiming a biblical giant, much like Goliath, with flaming red hair, was killed by U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. United States Special Forces allegedly killed this giant in Kandahar in 2002, and the government has been trying to cover it up, according to these sources. Several personalities and websites dedicated to discussing supernatural myths and conspiracy theories began claiming in 2016 that an American Special Forces soldier serving in Kandahar, Afghanistan, was killed in 2002 by a 1,100-pound blade-wielding 12-foot-tall giant equal or equivalent to the Old Testament times before the giant itself was taken down by the military. A Department of Defense spokesperson told them they had no record of such an incident. And I quote, we do not have any record or information about a special forces member killed by a giant in Kandahar. Current interest in the story appears to have been generated from a video created by L.A. Maruzili, an author, blogger, and filmmaker determined to link modern times with biblical creatures and prophecies. On the 13th of August, 2016, he posted an episode on YouTube of his series, Watchers, in which he claims to interview a military contractor or soldier who witnessed the blade-wielding giant on Kandahar <coughs> kill another soldier before being downed by troops, whisked away by a transport aircraft and hidden away from public view. Marzuli makes the case that the giant was a Nephilim, which were described in the book of Genesis as offspring of gods and human women who inhabited Canaan in the time of the Israelite conquest. But when it comes down to details, he's vague, saying he interviewed the unnamed man at an undisclosed location on an unknown date. The interviewee, who he claims shot and killed the giant, doesn't give any details on the location of the alleged incident, other than to say it was a remote location in Afghanistan in 2002. He claims that he and others were sent to look for a missing patrol when they saw a scarlet-haired giant emerge from a cave and skewer one of their friends, who he called Dan, with a large blade. In the Army statement, it's sufficient, isn't sufficient. The only service member with the first name Dan, or Daniel, who died in Kandahar in 2002 was killed along with three others in an accident involving the clearing and disposal of explosives. There are no incidents on the Department of Defense press release page in which all military casualties are listed, involving a giant. Likewise, there are no reports of an entire patrol disappearing in Afghanistan at that time either. Marzulli's video about the alleged giant incident, replete and growling animation, can be seen on the website provided. There was a ship recently discovered 
that had actually disappeared in 1925. It was last seen at that time. It mysteriously reappeared after disappearing 90 years ago in the Bermuda Triangle. The ship remains intact and afloat and has never been seen by any aircraft or seagoing ship in nine decades, nor has the ship ever run aground. Where has she been, They, you may ask? What happened to the crew? There were no skeletal remains that were ever discovered on this ship. Oddly enough, there were strange outlines of bodies burned into the side of the ship's hull and along the ship hallways. This reminds me a lot of the Philadelphia experiment. If anyone's familiar with that, this happened in the 1930s, late 30s, where a ship disappeared from one harbor and reappeared in another. And it was a cloaking device that was created by reverse magnetic polarity propulsion. This was actually one of Einstein's earlier designs um, that would actually have benefited us more than the atomic bomb, which he was also responsible for initially. This experiment was supposed to create a magnetic field around the ship, thus making them invisible to radar. Problem is, when it disappeared, all of the people that survived this experiment that were on the ship said when they disappeared, they reappeared in a strange realm where the water was red. There were strange sounds and creatures that were seen in the water near their ship. And another ship that was much larger than their own was moving in towards them. And as quickly as they appeared in this strange realm, they disappeared and then reappeared in Philadelphia. And then in a mere few seconds after so many people um, and Roanoke, Virginia, sorry, it was in Virginia where they reappeared. After so many people saw them, they then reappeared in Philadelphia and became violently ill. A lot of the men along the ship were vomiting and retching along the ship itself, the deck, or off to the side. And the saying goes, those that were lucky were the mad ones, the ones that didn't really believe what was happening to them had happened, that they had just lost their minds due to some sort of overexposure to radiation. Uh, there were several men who appeared unscathed by the experiment, and when they were moved on to other locations and stationed elsewhere, and everything was everything was classified, and they were debriefed and relieved of duty to that experiment and sworn to secrecy, they would be sitting there having coffee one day with their shipmates or with um, other military personnel or even with their own family and just immediately disappear while they're sitting there drinking coffee or having breakfast or just having a conversation and then reappear a few seconds later. And they had to be quarantined. Uh, rumors were being thrown around to try and cover this up that all these men were sick from radiation poisoning. But try telling that to the eyewitnesses who watched them disappear and then reappear moments later. And the things these men described that they would see or encounter or where they ended up when they disappeared from our reality ended up in an alternate one, it's enough to make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. There were reports of men 
saying they disappear from here and then end up reappearing in the middle of the sky and falling. And then they get sucked out of that back to where they were. And they would be fine. And then it kept happening. And they would slip in and out of our reality. Or reports from people who said that they were in that time period when this was happening, disappear and then reappear in the middle of a battlefield in the medieval times. Or they would watch knights and kings fight with one another and then get sucked back into our realm. Or they would get shot so far off into the distant future that they didn't recognize anything they were seeing um, or understand flying cars or how these things were flying around in the sky or sidewalks that were moving or um, people walking around with strange gadgets in their hands reading news sources. They didn't understand any of this. And it was, it was quite a time for not only our military men, but for science itself to try and explain away this phenomenon because you, you simply cannot. And now a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, good news. The outrageously expensive little blue pill is now generic, which means you can get the prescription medication to treat ED at affordable prices. And Hems makes it extra affordable. You pay just 30 bucks for a month's supply. And right now, get your first online doctor's visit totally free when you go to 4 slash good. That's right, free, zero copay, no expensive appointments, no awkward face-to-face -face conversations to get your prescription. Hims connects you to doctors online who can evaluate you and, if appropriate, prescribe your ED medication. And a pharmacy sends it right to your door. Hims makes it affordable, private, and incredibly easy. Nobody likes dealing with ED. Now, thanks to Hims, nobody has to. And that's really good news. To start your free online visit, you need to go to this exclusive address, 4hims.com slash good. That's 4hims.com slash good for your free online visit. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash good. Family is big around here. We're family owned, family operated, family managed. And that means legacy. That means dependability. That means using Granger. With over 1.5 million products and knowledgeable product experts, Granger has whatever we need. And with same day pickup and next day delivery options, they have it whenever we need it. For over 90 years, businesses like ours have trusted Granger. Because, like family, Granger's got our back. Call, clickgranger.com, or stop by to see for yourself. Granger. For the ones who get it done. Excuse me, Captain. This is your wake up call from the new track home wireless. Uh, what's that now? What if you had to fly this plane? Are the giants really among us? Did they ever leave? Where did they go? The Nephilim Chronicles, Fallen Angels in the Ohio Valley. Giant humans called the Nephilim once roamed the earth. The Nephilim Chronicles, Fallen Angels in the Ohio Valley documents the migration of the counted giants in the Bible known as the Amorites to North America. This blog, the Nephilim Chronicles, is dedicated to the historic documents that shows this mysterious chapter in the Bible, and actually that it's true. Fifty giant tombs were just recently discovered on the banks of the Ohio River and believed to be the King's Graveyard, as it was called. Corn Island is located at the southern bend of the Ohio River. It was flooded by the construction of the dam in the 1920s. The other cemetery contains the bones of 50 dead kings, or being referred to as kings. The tombs are made of rough, hewn stone, and the occupants were all men, not one of 
was less than six and a half to seven feet high. They were buried in sitting posture, and their faces turned toward the rising sun, and their weapons must have been buried with them. Evidently, placed on their laps, according to reports, but the peculiar coincidence is that the left temple of each had been crushed in by some blunt instrument, whether it was as religious rite or a precaution against burying them alive is a matter of surmise. One would surmise that considering the writer who opened one of the graves with Professor Green, the eminent geologist and at one time state geologist of Indiana, believes it was a religious rite. The School of History of Kentucky says when the first white settlers arrived at Louisville, they found piles of human skeletons on Corn Island and some are found there now. To the early settlers, it appeared that there had been a great battle fought and that one tribe had been entirely wiped out. All of the skeletons were those of people of medium stature, save one, that of a man, and he must have been seven feet tall, according to the reports. On the banks of the falls to this day are found to be found thousands of Indian arrows and spearheads with an occasional battle axe. And once a stone owl was found that had probably been fashioned by one of the prehistoric people at that time. The description represents the concrete facts and is the cooperative evidence of the weird tale told by Mrs. Kelly and her ancestors and their mystic chant of the vanishing of a strange race of people. The story had better be given in her own words to the writer of this narrative. Valentine Kelly, who was a spiritualist, told the writer that he was once standing on a shed near the royal tombs when a gigantic white man with yellow hair peered in at the window. He said he saw him as clear as he could, for it was broad daylight and he could not have made a mistake. However, Mr. Kelly was a firm believer in ghosts and hobgoblins, and it may be that he did not actually see yellow hair, but he believed to be the time of his death he had seen him. He permitted Professor Green and the writer to open two of the graves on his farm, but stopped further evacuating, excavating, sorry, as he said the scientist would soon dig up the best part of his farm if he permitted them to do so. But there were originally 50 of the tombs, and now more than 40 remain. The high water washed away some of them, and two were opened by men. One of the best-known archaeologists of Indiana, Dr. W.F. Work of Charlestown, Indiana, found seven similar stones 13 miles from the scene, and he noticed that the left temple of each dead man was crushed in, and that the bones of those were men of gigantic stature. Dr. Work spent much time in exploring the habitations of the cliff dwellers of Arizona, and was written has written much on the subject. He believes yellow hair people were the Mandan Indians. Orlando Hobbs, also an archaeologist, authority of Indiana, and a man known widely for his learning and research, holds this opinion as well.
best podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now, number one for podcasting. iHeartRadio.